you got your Bibles, open to John chapter 11. Yesterday I preached the uh, funeral of Dick Esty. And uh, being Valentine's, I wanted to talk about love today. And there was no greater story that I could see than the story that I talked about yesterday. Yesterday we had a request that, you know, in, in the funeral that we would really focused on, you know, really making a commitment to believe that Jesus was Messiah. And, uh, and that's kind of the focus that we had yesterday. But I just couldn't, I can't get out of this passage of Scripture without saying, man, the church really needs to get a hold of what everything that's revealed in this passage. So I'm, I went back to it, and uh, we're going to hit this one hard this morning for us. It's going to be a lot different, and I hope that you have an idea of the magnitude of the story and everything that God wants to reveal about himself. The thing that makes this story, to me, one of the most uh, important stories in Scripture for me is that it is so real life, and it really deals with the dependency upon God, Stephen, that we were just singing about and that you just talked about, you know, this idea that we're going to join him, um, it, it just, it, it really comes alive strong in this passage of Scripture. And it shows so many different weaknesses and frailties and personalities that, that enter into the picture of this walk of faith. And so we're going to kind of hit on all of them. You need Jesus, you and I need Jesus to to really be effective in the ministry that he's called us to as sons and daughters. And so as we begin, I'm going to kind of work backwards, and I'm going to kind of break it down. Uh, in, in the book of Ecclesiastes, the author uh, has lived a pretty long life, and he's at the end of his life, and he has this conclusion uh, that he is coming up with, and he, and he says, he just talks about the, the different seasons um, and the importance of God being in every season. Sometimes we think when we do life, you know, again, we've been kind of talking about this, just this, this is fad in Christianity or this thought process, all I got to do is give my life to Jesus and all my problems are going to go away. And that's just not the case. There's a season. There's a there's a season. Now the truth that in the season that you go through, God wants to work in that season for good, for those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. Those that are doing His will, right? So He's He's moving something forward in that. And this is what it says about the different seasons. For everything, there's a season. A time for every activity under heaven. A time to be born, a time to die. A time to plant and a time to harvest. Everybody knows all those things, right? A time to kill and a time to heal. That's interesting, isn't it? A time to tear down and a time to build up. A time to cry and a time to laugh. A time to grieve and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather stones. A time to embrace and a time to turn away. A time to search and a time to quit searching. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to quiet and a time to speak. Somebody look to the person to the left and say, there's a time for you to be quiet. <laughs> Go ahead, do that. And a time to speak. You know, <laughs> my person left. 
You know, when I was sitting here, I'm not kidding, I'm not kidding. I just read that, and I hadn't even thought about anything. But I'm standing here worshiping the Lord, saying to me, you know, the Bible says that a fool has a lot of words. And he was, he was saying, why don't, why don't you, uh, pastor, depend on me more for your words? Isn't that interesting? When you start thinking about the truth and the word of God, and when we say we want to move of God, what God's saying, don't talk so much unless I tell you to. Won't you just say what I'm telling you to say? Otherwise, zip it. So there's a time to be quiet and a time to speak. Now go ahead and say, there is a time to speak. Tell them that too. Free them up a little bit right now. Free them up. Go ahead. Free them up. You got to. We, we don't. Yeah. There's a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. But then he goes on and says this in verse 9. What do people really get for all their hard work? Question. I have seen the burden God has placed on us all. What burden is that? The burden that we have to live in a life that has sin that has entered in. All, all, the, all the forces of hell that are trying to steal, kill, and destroy you, you don't go away because you become a son of, of God. You have the keys to the kingdom. You have the ability to push back hell. The gates of hell cannot prevail against you. Right? But you're still in a battle. You're still in, in war. And so it's hard. But look at what he says. I have seen the burden that God has placed on us, yet God has made everything beautiful in its own time. And so no matter what is happening to you, no matter, no matter where you are, no, no matter what hell is throwing at you, you have the ability to call on the name of the Lord, to, to, to look at him, to pursue him, and he give you creative ways to bring good out of something, to bring kingdom, to redeem, because you've joined him in your redeeming plan. And you've done it no more, no less, because that's what it says. It says, it says right here, everything's beautiful in his own time. Say that, in his own time. Say it again, it is in his own time. He has planted eternity in the human heart. But even so, people can't see the whole scope. They can't see God's beginning and God's end. We're never going to have full understanding. It's just not going to happen. It's not going to happen. But in the midst of life, in the season that you find yourself, God has an answer. God has a solution. Now, when we read this story in John chapter 11, we're going to see some things that I want you to see about God because what we can find is, first of all, there's two things I really want you to see. We're going to be using the New Living Translation uh, in, in this uh, as well as the New King James. Because the New King James is a word-for-word -word translation. And the New Living Translation is a paragraph-by-paragraph -paragraph translation. And honestly, the New Living Translation doesn't do a very good job in a couple of places of actually giving the truth about this. For example, well, I'll point it out when I get to it. But there, there, you've, got, you've got to be aware of that. You also have to be aware of fads that are in a church. When I say in a church, I'm not talking about just east side. I'm talking about the church. There are fads out there. There are things that begin to happen. Everybody starts talking about it. Let me give you one right now. The Passion Translation. 
Have you read the Passion? Have you read the Passion translation? Have you? And it's good, but it's a fad. How many of you read the message? How many of you still read the message? I mean, I mean, it was like, oh, the message. Have you read the message version? Oh, man, it's amazing. Nobody even knows what it is anymore. But for a time, people loved it. And so, and, and there's good that comes from it. I'm making fun of it because of making fun of us. But there are, there are foundational true things that you need to be solid on and that is you need to have a version of the Word of God that you know is a word-for-word -word translation. Because I use the passion. I use the message. And I'm going to use the New Living Translation. I'm going to use all those things. But I'm going to make sure that what God intended it to say, that's exactly what it says. And you've got to really, you've got to really grab a hold of that. And so we're going, to, we're going to check that out as we go through this story in Lazarus. Um, I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation. All right, there was a man named Lazarus, and he was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who later poured that, the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet. Matter of fact, just a few days later, and wiped them with the, her hair. Her brother Lazarus was sick, so the two sisters sent a message to Jesus, telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. But Jesus, when he heard about it, said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No. This sickness happened for the glory of God so that the Son of Man will receive glory from this. That a mess with theology right there. It just messes with people all the time. Why did, why did this sickness happen? For the glory of God. What? Well, he said, well, God doesn't cause sickness. No, he doesn't. Sin did. But God allows it. That'll mess you up too. Why? In this particular case, for the glory. And we're going to talk about what glory is in just a minute. He says it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this thing. So although Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for two days. Now listen to what I'm saying here, and I really want to get this across. This is, this is strong, and I'm, I'm going to come at some thinking, so don't, y'all don't get mad at me and leave the church. But I want you to think it. I want you to just think about it a minute. There's this fad that's going on that you, that, you, know, you just pray for everybody. Because God wants everybody healed. That's really big right now. I mean, it's everywhere. Does God want everybody healed? That's truth, right? But you pray for everybody, and you're going to make a fool out of yourself. Because Jesus didn't do it. Not only that, but what you see here is you see Mary and Martha coming to Jesus, and there's two friends of his. And they came to him and said, Lazarus is sick. Your buddy is sick. And Jesus says, okay, good. That's not unto this. He's going to bring glory to me, but I'm not going. You see, it wasn't. Jesus' friendship did not move him. 
He didn't have this emotion come upon him. Let me go to the rescue. I've got the keys to the kingdom. He didn't do it. He did not move. Now we're staying here. Why? Because he already knew, God had already spoken to him what was going to happen. This, this is going to happen. But it's going to happen when God says it's going to happen. If he goes too early, it don't happen. You tracking with me? And so there's this, do you, do you want the glory of the Lord? Do you want more? Do you want to see a move of God? You cannot see a move of God just because you want to. There comes a move of God because you're obedient to him, because you're dependent on him, because you're in relationship with him, because you have the ability to hear his voice, and then you're willing to respond to that voice even when it makes a fool out of you. But you don't go just acting on your own, even though you have the keys. And the reason I say that is Jesus didn't, and he was the key grabber. He's the one who went and got him back. He didn't do anything unless the Father said do it. And he knew why he came. And so let's pick up in verse 5. So although Jesus loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for two days. And finally he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judah. <laughs> and this is so much fun. This is, <laughs> I just get the giggling. I can see Vuo in this. I can see me in this. I, I mean, I can see like four or five of us that I know in leadership of this church. I can see us all in this, this story right here. Now, don't be looking at people when I read something about, that's you right there, that's you. But his disciples objected, said, Rabbi, they said only a few days ago, the disciples said, only a few days ago, people in Judah were trying to stone you, and we're going back? Jesus said, there are 12 hours of daylight every day. During the day, people can walk safely. They can see because they have the light of this world. Now, if you look, if you do a word study on that word light right there, you're going to find some important stuff. It means... To, to, to illuminate something. In other words, because they have the revelation of this world. It has a lot more to do with just a, a light illuminates, but it's the, this particular definition in the Greek has to do with what that light does, not, not calling it just a light. It, it illuminates. It, it brings into focus reality. And so he's saying in the darkness is not reality, but in the light, in the revelation, you get reality. But at the night, there's danger of stumbling because there's no light. In darkness, when you, when you don't have revelation of, of the Messiah and the work of God, then, then, then there's, you stumble around. You, you, you're not clear. You don't walk well. You don't, you don't do very much very well. The same thing he was saying in Ecclesiastes. There's a season for everything, but if you try to work a season without God, you're going to stumble. You need the revelation and the truth and the Word of God to illuminate the situation and give you instruction so that you can be victorious and successful. And so he says, so he says, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but now I'll go and I'm going to go wake him up. And the disciple says, Lord, I love it. You're talking about not seeing in the spirit. 
Lord, if he if he sleeps, you know, when you're when you're sick, what you need to do is you feed a cold and starve, whatever you do. You know, when you sleep, you're gonna get well. Sleep's good. Let's not go wake him up. Let's let him sleep. He'll get well. Can you see that? Honey, don't wake him up. Let him sleep. <laughs> and Jesus said, he's not sleeping. He's dead. So he said to him, Lazarus, he's dead. And for your sakes, I'm glad he's dead. I'm glad I wasn't there. For now you will really believe. Come, let's go see him. God, when you say, we want to move God, what God's saying, I want to move too. I want to move too. I want to bring you revelation. I want to illuminate my plan in your life, in your season. I want to illuminate your season. I want to give you creative solutions. I want to empower you to bring kingdom. I bring redemption and reconciliation to everything I do. That's who I am. You can't change that. I want you to join me in that process. I want to illuminate that. So, <laughs> let's go see. And then Thomas... He was nicknamed Vulo. I mean, uh, the twin. I'm sorry. Did I put that? He said to the disciples, yeah, that's a good idea. Let's all go. We'll all die. <laughs> yeah, that sounds great. Let's all go back to you to jail. When they're trying to stone you, we'll all go with you and they can stone us all. That's a great idea. Isn't that great? Yeah, I'm not making this up. This is written right here. <laughs> uh, so Jesus arrives at Bethany, and he was told that Lazarus had been dead for four days. That's where the New Living Translation doesn't do a good job. It says that he was given that information. He had revelation. He had enlightenment. In other words, Jesus didn't know how long Lazarus was dead. He didn't have all the information. He was gone, but he was human. If you'll look up the Greek in that word, and I can read it in a different translation of the New Living, it has this idea of imparting information, wisdom, getting insight. He was dead for four days. Jesus is like, I'm like four days, okay? All he knew was that he wasn't supposed to go, and so he stayed for two days. All he knew was that God was going to get glorified, and all he knew that God was going to use the situation to bring glory to Jesus. That's all he knew. And all he was trying to do was walk with God in the moment and not do any more or any less than God was telling him to do, the Father was telling him to do, so that victory would come. And the thing that God intended would actually be carried out. You see, what we do sometimes is we just rush out 
and we try to do things when we're really not dependent upon the voice of God. We haven't really mastered that yet. And, I, and, and what I'm saying with that is I don't want you to, to be weak and I don't want you to not master it. And I don't want you to not go. I mean, all those are wrong. You got to go. But you got to listen. God wants to train you. He wants to give you more. He wants to, he wants to move in your life. You've got to expect. You've got to grow. You've got to, you've got to receive the things from God that he wants to show you. You've got to fine-tune your skills of hearing the voice of God. You've got to gain in your confidence of hearing him. How do you do that? You make mistakes. You're not going to get it right every time. And you've got to be willing to make mistakes to actually do it. If you're scared that the first time that you make a mistake, you're going to stop being a son of God as far as the call is concerned, then Satan wins the, wins the battle. He wins the war. You've, you've got to learn how to hear the voice of God and how to respond to it and move in it. And so, so, and so Jesus is saying all this to the disciples. The disciples haven't got the illumination or the revelation that Jesus has gotten from the Father. They're still in the dark. They're still thinking, all right, let's all go. We'll all die. You know, Jesus, are you sure about this? Can you imagine? I can't imagine living with Jesus going, that's not a good idea, Jesus. Have you really thought about this? Have you prayed about this, Jesus? <laughs> so when Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been dead for four days. Now, Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem. Many of the people that came to console Martha and Mary in their loss, when Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him. But Martha stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd only been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Now, sometimes we, we think about this, and, and this is actually written like this. This is saying, this is saying, Mary said, Golly, Jesus, why, why, didn't you, why didn't you come when you could have actually done something? If you'd have come earlier, you could have actually, you know, we, you could have stopped this. But you didn't. And I still know that, that anything you say and ask, you know, that's, that's going to be done. That's going to be done. I, I know you're Messiah. I, I believe. I believe that you're Messiah. But she has zero expectation of what's about to take place. It's not, it's not on her radar. What she's saying is, I'm disappointed with you, Jesus, but I'm still going to believe. How many of you are in that situation? Well, you see where God didn't do what you asked him to do. And you said, why didn't you show up, Jesus? Why didn't you come do what you could have done? You could have stopped this. But you have no idea what God wants to do to bring revelation and reconciliation back to that thing. That thing that's dead. That thing that brings pain. That pain, that, that thing that reminds you or calls you a failure. You failed. Jesus, why didn't you rescue me? I, I mean, I know I made the choices, but, but you could have rescued me from failure and you didn't. And so I embarrassed myself in front of all these people. And so now I've lost confidence in you to rescue me anymore. 
And so I'm disappointed. But I still believe. I'm just not going to ask you to do anything anymore. I don't have any expectation that you're still going to begin to move in the thing that I think is dead. Somebody say hallelujah. Come on. Yes, Martha. Let's see. So they see Martha and Mary leaving and they're consoling them. And when Martha got the word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him. But Mary stayed in the house. Martha said, Lord, you know, if you'd have been here, my brother would still be leaving. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha begins to have a theological conversation with Jesus and begins to, begins to let him know. theology yes Martha said he will rise when everyone else rises at the last day and Jesus said I'm the resurrection and the life anyone who believes in me will live even after dying everyone who, who lives in me and believes in me will never ever die do you believe this Martha Martha says yes Yes, Lord. I've always believed you're the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. Then she returned to Mary. She called Mary aside from the mourners and told her, the teacher's here and he wants to see you. Whoosh. Whoosh. Right over her head. She hadn't got any of this stuff that Jesus is trying to tell. I, I'm promising you, I believe with all my heart that when Jesus is speaking these words, that the revelation of the truth is available to her. But she just doesn't have eyes to see or ears to hear because of the condition and the place that she's in. God is trying, Jesus is trying to illuminate the situation, but because of her position, she just goes on about her deal. And she runs in to Mary. Now, Martha is the busy one, right? She runs in to Mary. She returns to Mary. She calls Mary aside and said, the teacher wants to see you. So Mary immediately went to him. And Jesus stayed outside in the village at the place where Martha met him. When the people were at the house uh, consoling Mary, they saw her leave so hastily, they assumed that she was running to Lazarus' grave to weep. So they followed her there. And when Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him, and he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him, he asked. Now, I, now, I, 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 want, you to, I want you to see. There's a great combination of emotions that are happening here that we need to grab a hold of that we can use as, as followers of Christ. The first one is Jesus didn't, again, his friends could not move him to respond. They just couldn't. He, wasn't gonna, he was going to listen to the Father. 
and he was going to respond. He immediately began to expect a father to have a reconcilable, redemptive program in place for this event. And the Lord was giving him information, but not all of it. And he left and did what the Lord said. And then he gets there, and he's got a holy anger. The reason I, I tell you this is he's, is he's mad. Why is he mad? He's mad because he has illumination. He's mad because he has understanding of what hell has done. He's mad because he knows that it's only hell's intent to make you emotionally dysfunctional, to, to cause you pain. God's desire is not to cause you pain. God is, God's desire is to love you and to comfort you and to, and to make you uh, joyful and happy. It's the joy of the Lord that gives you strength. It's, it's all those things. And that force that caused death caused a remote emotional response that was contrary to, to what God intended for mankind. And so Jesus sees that and is mad. He, what's he mad at? He's mad at hell. He's mad at the results of hell. The condition of the human soul because of the results of hellish forces. Where have you put him? And they said, Lord, come and see. Then Jesus wept. And the people who were standing by said, see how much he loved him? But some said, this man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have He kept Lazarus from dying? Now, this is all going on around him. Now, don't act like you had not ever done the same thing. Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb, the cave with a stone rolled across the entrance. Roll the stone. Now, now I just, you know, I, I, there's two things that, that happened in my mind's eye when Jesus, when Jesus comes up to the stone. The first thing he does, he says, he has to either be going, gritting his teeth, going, roll the stone away. Because he's, he's emotionally charged. I mean, and if you're a warrior or you've played sport at a high level or you've ever been in the military, you know that you take on a whole different mindset when you're about to, you know, can you imagine D-Day when you were, when you were running off the ship or the intensity that you have to have when you're, when you're, you know, going to battle like that and he's going to battle with hell. And so either that or he goes, roll the stone away. It's, it's, it, it can be expressed in the way I just want, to, want you to hear the intensity. And what does the stone represent? See, I believe that the stone represents that thing that's blocking you for the freedom that God wants to give you. That thing that is closing you in and, and, and it opens up and you know the stink comes out. There's no way that you're going to open up those failures in your past that the stink doesn't come out. Let me just say, you're going to smell the stink when you begin to open old wounds. You're going to, you're going to see that, and Jesus is going to say, roll that thing away that's keeping this individual from coming out of the place of death. That's what I see. There's something blocking you from freedom. And Jesus says, 
Get that thing out of the way. Get that thing out of here. Lazarus, Drew, Kim, come out. Come to the place of redemption. Come to reconciliation to me. Come to a place of victory. Come to a place of healing. Come out. Since Lazarus got out and he walked up and he, you know, he comes out and they undo him. <laughs> Let me just point out one more thing. Jesus responded. Is he responding now? I love Martha. Roll the stone away. No, Jesus, he'll speak. She still don't get it. Now that's the Martha that Jesus said, do you believe? I'm the resurrection and life. Those who die, they'll live. Do you believe that, Martha? Yes, Lord. I believe you're Messiah. No, God, don't roll away the stone. It'll stink. <laughs> Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that you'd see the glory if you believe? So they rolled the stone aside, and then Jesus looked up at him and said, Father, I love this. Listen, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me. Listen to his posture. He is confident. He's confident in his relationship with the Father. Are you? You see, see you, you, you say, I want to see him move. Well, God's saying, I want to give you confidence in your relationship with me first. You want to see him move? Get confidence. You see, you, you, don't, you don't bring anything to the table to restore relationship back to me. I brought it all. I brought Jesus to the cross. I, I put him in the ground for three days. We conquered death in the grave. We went down to hell and got the keys. We brought them back. We rent the veil from top to bottom so that you could come into the Holy of Holies, so you could come boldly to the throne of grace, the grace, the power of God that can move in your circumstances that does more than you can do on your own. That grace, you can move in that grace. You can have revelation. Your life can be illuminated, and you did nothing except say, I believe. You said, I believe. God says, all this is available. Now get confident in the fact that if you ask, I hear you. Are you confident that when you pray, the Lord hears you? Jesus was. You always hear me. But Lord, I said this out loud, not for my sake, because you and I have already had conversation. How many times do you go into situations that are tough situations without having conversation with God and instruction first. Jesus is not winging it. He's not winging it. He's prepared. He's talked to the Father. He's fasted. He's prayed. He's ready. He's got vision. He already knows. He's going in. But he said out loud, for the sake of all these people standing here, so, they'll, so that they will believe that you sent me. And then Jesus shouted, Lazarus! Come out. 
And the dead man came out with his hands wrapped, and they unwrapped him, and they let him go. They let him go. What is it? you need illuminated what is it that you think in your mind's eye and say to yourself God you could have done something about this but you didn't and so I have no hope and no vision of it ever being made right there's so many things in the life of believers we live in such unbelief or in darkness and we stumble around groping for solutions and answers when God says, if you'll just come to me, I'll shine light on it and I'll give you solutions. He promises that he hears your prayers and, he, and that you have the, uh, the keys or you have the ability to call down heaven on your situation even though hell has messed you up. You can, it's redeemable, it's reconcilable. It can be reconciled to God. How? You have to first have it illuminated by God. If not, you stumble around in the darkness. And the church is stumbling around in the darkness. And the reason they're stumbling around in the darkness is an absence of prayer and belief that God hears them and a confidence that he is actually going to give them creative solutions. And then a willingness to be obedient. We want God to meet us on our terms. And God says, no, 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 no. You're meeting me on my terms. You do this, and then I will do this. This is all over Scripture. Come to me all who are heavy laden. And I'll give you, you come, I bring rest. You don't come, you don't get rest. Everything in Scripture has that on it, Stephen. And it does is here as well. This is the Passion Translation, just because I smashed it just a little bit earlier. I didn't really smash it. I really like it. I just want you to make sure that you've got something that you can get the fullness of everything. But this is, this is 1 Thessalonians 5 in the Passion Translation. It's amazingly good. It says this, Now may the God of peace and harmony set you apart, making you completely holy. And may your entire being, your spirit, your soul, and your body, your spirit, your soul, and your body be kept completely flawless in the appearing of our Lord Jesus, the anointed one. The one who calls you by name is trustworthy and will thoroughly complete his work in you. We prayed and we asked God to bring healing to our, our mind, our soul, and body. Our staff at a retreat, we said we, we want to grow up a church that is physically, spiritually, and emotionally healthy. That's your soul. We, 
We want your soul to be healthy because God redeems all our mistakes. God redeems and reconciles all our hurts, all our past, all our choices. God says, I got solutions for that. Call upon me. Let me illuminate it. Let me shine light on it. Let me give you creativity. Let me give you instruction. And I'll bring you to a place of wholeness, mind, soul, and body. That's a move. There's no greater move of God than that. Let me just tell you this. If the church was healthy, mind, soul, and body, the world would be flocking to the church. But the church looks way too much like the world, broken and dysfunctional, instead of whole and healthy. And the gap is what Jesus prayed. Thank you, God. I know you always hear me. I know you always respond. I know you always have solutions. I know it is your desire. You are my peace. You are my guard. You are my banner. You are my vision. You're my all in all, God. I want to learn to depend on you. And I think that's the message today, Stephen, from the Lord is this, not your terms, his, not your plans, his. He says, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Well, you don't know, well, what about my plans? No, how about my plans? I'll give you the desire of your heart. I'm going to put it in there, and then I'm going to make it happen. He says about healing your soul, that he does the work. How does he do the work? Well, if you stand with your hands out like this, scared that you're going to get embarrassed, that your worship expression is going to be out of control, or that you push back on the Bible, or you push back on prayer, you're probably not going to get solutions. It's just probably not going to happen. And so there has to be this surrender. If you humble yourself and seek his face, he will hear you and he will answer you. And so my prayer is that he move in me, that he bring light, that he illuminate me that has shown me who he is, his glory. He reveals his nature and his character. And so then I can respond to that. Father, I thank you. I know that's your desire. Your desire is to show yourself to us, that you'll bring glory to the Father, and glory to the Son. That you do want to move. But the place of movement always begins with belief. Do we believe? Do we pray? Prayer is not talking as much as it is listening. Can you say about us like you said about David, there's a man who will do what I say. 
This is how you know that you love me, that you keep my commandments, that you do what I say. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us to bring glory to you, God. Father, there's no shortcuts. There's no fads. There's just truth. So we ask you, God, illuminate us. Can you say that? Illuminate me, God. Illuminate me, God. Give me revelation. <laughs> and I, I can't wait to see the stones roll away. I can't wait for the stench. I can't wait for the healing, mind, soul, and body. I thank you for that. I pray in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. amen.